0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in 2 Kings chapter number 22, and we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings on the subject of uh, revival. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, uh, we learned about revival, and we learned that revival is to know God and to make God known, to know God in a deeper, fuller way, and to make God known in a very profound way. And last week we talked about revival through dying to self, and we've been we're going to be studying these ideas of revival. We're looking at the revival passages in Scripture, and we're looking at revivals in the Bible. And uh, we learned that we cannot have revival; something cannot be revived until it first dies. And in order for you and I to be spiritually revived, whether we need it or not, because of uh, spiritual dead uh, death in our lives or churches die, we all need to learn to die to self. So we learned about that. Uh, last week. Today, we're going to continue with this idea of revival, and today we're going to focus on the idea of revival through the house of God. Revival through the house of God. And of course, King Josiah, as we read here in 1 Kings 22, led one of the greatest revivals in the Bible. In fact, we'll read it next week, chapter 23, and we'll look at the characteristics of that great revival. And I'm not going to preach a, a lot about Josiah's revival uh, this morning, because that will be the subject of the sermon next week. Next week, we're going to go through and break down the revival that Josiah led. And we're going to learn about it and start it uh, and, and, and apply it to our lives. What I do want you to notice this morning and what I want to just start off at is I want you to notice that the revival of Josiah began with the house of God. If you look there in 2 Kings 22, you'll see that there was a return to the house of of God. 2 Kings 22 and verse 3, the Bible says this, and it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and for many years the house of God had been abandoned and ignored. And here we have this King Josiah who he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, notice, to the house of the Lord. And we see that the revival that Josiah led really began where they returned to the house of God. And I thought that was fitting since for the last few months we've been in lockdown and we've not been able to meet in the way that we'd liked to meet. And we're really experiencing a return back to the house of God. And, um, you know, I'm glad that Verity Baptist Church is getting back to the house of God. And because of the fact that this is where revival will begin, Revival begins with the house of God. You'll notice that there was a return to the house of God, but it was more than just returning to the house of God. There's also a repairing of the house of God. If you look at the last word there in verse 3, it says saying, notice verse 4, "...go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may sum up the silver which is brought..." ...into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hands of the doers of the work, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches. The word breaches means the breaking apart of the house unto the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. I want you to notice that when Josiah led a revival, they not only returned to the house of God, but they also began to repair the house of God. Now I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of 1st Timothy, 1st Timothy chapter number three. In the New Testament, if you find all the T books, they're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. Go to 1st Timothy chapter three. And let me say this, here in Josiah, we we see that they physically returned and that they physically repaired the house itself. The temple of God was in disarray and they began to repair the house of God. But I want you to understand that for us... This has a spiritual application because, see, today the house of God is not a building. In the Old Testament, the house of God started as a tabernacle, as a tent that was set apart uh, for meeting with the Lord. And then eventually it turned into the temple that Solomon built. And it was a building, a beautiful building that was set apart for the meeting, uh, uh, for God's people to meet with God. Today, however, uh, the house of God is not a building. The house of God is not a location. We don't have to do a pilgrimage to a certain place, to a certain geographical spot in order to be in the house of Lord, in the house of the Lord. Today, the house of God for New Testament believers has changed. If you're there in 1st Timothy, notice chapter 3 and look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Uh, Paul said this, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, notice what he says, in the house of God. In the house of God. And you might ask, well, where is that, Paul? Is that a temple in Jerusalem somewhere? Is there a location that we have to go to, physically go to? And notice what he says. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See, today, the house of God, for New Testament believers, the Bible tells us it's the church of God. And the church is, is the gathering together of believers, the church. And we'll look at that here in a minute from uh, the scriptures. Keep your place there in First Timothy, if you would. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But if you would, go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Keep your place in First Timothy and go to Ephesians. Today, the house of God is the church of God, which again, is not a building. The church is the gathering together, the assembling of believers. And just like Josiah had to return to the house of God in order to experience revival and had to repair the house of God, we need to, if we want to, experience revival at Verity Baptist Church, not only return to the house of God, but we must begin to repair the house of God. And I'm not talking about the physical building, although while you were gone, we painted and had the uh, chairs clean and had the carpet cleaned and installed new equipment and did all those things. I'm talking about Physically. Uh, excuse me, I'm talking about spiritually. This is why uh, I'm even doing this series on revival because as we return, as we make this journey, and I realize that we're not going to just flip a switch, and be back 100%, 100% capacity after two months of being locked down. I understand that, and we've got families that still have medical concerns and are not able to be with us, and we love them, and we uh, encourage them to continue to live stream, and we look forward to the day when they can return and be part of the congregation. I realized that we weren't just gonna flip a switch and and, and be back 100%, where it's gonna take time, weeks, maybe months, to get us back uh, to where we were, but I'm telling you this, as we continue this process of returning to the house of God, I don't want us just to return to the house of God. I want to repair the house of God. Spiritually speaking, I want to begin to repair the breaches, the damage, the broken up that may have happened over the last uh, couple of uh, months during uh, this lockdown. And I want you to notice that it all begins, revival begins with the house of God. Now, there's a reason for that. Why is it? You might say that uh, you need the house of God for revival. You know, can I be revived all on my own? Can I just spiritually be on fire for God? Do I really need to be uh, a part of a church or part of a local assembly? And I'm not preaching on the doctrine of church necessarily today, although the Bible teaches us, and you've heard me say this, that Jesus died for the church. The Jesus uh, 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 is the head of the church. Jesus builds the church. God gave us the institution of a local church, and God wants every believer to be a part of that. But today we're answering the question, Why revival through the house of God? Why do I need the house of God in order to experience revival? And I want to give you three thoughts this morning in regards to that. I encourage you to write these down on the back of your chorus of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. And the first point is this. The house of God is required for revival or the house of God can bring revival because of, here's point number one, the sermons you hear in the house of God. Because of the sermons you hear in church. Because we've already established that the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And see, one of the purposes for having church is that you will come here and through the preaching of the word of God, your life will be cleansed. Now on Wednesday night, we, I preached through the book of Ephes- uh, through Ephesians chapter five, and we focused on the idea of husbands and wives. But at the end, I shared with you that Paul's uh, little uh, 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 dialogue there in regards to marriage was actually him teaching about the relationship between Christ and His church. And I want you to notice again this morning, if you would, that one of the reasons that God gave us a church, that Jesus gave us a church, was for cleansing. Ephesians five, look at verse twenty-five. Husbands, love your wives. Even as, notice the subject, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Remember, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus builds the church. Notice verse 26, that he, talking about Jesus, <clears throat> might sanctify and cleanse it. Now, what's the church? It's not the building, it's you, it's me. Is as we come together, collectively assemble together, we make up the the local New Testament church here in in in, in you know that's called Verity Baptist Church, and the purpose that we do one of the reasons is that He, the Lord Jesus Christ, might sanctify. And cleanse it. You say, well, how is it that Jesus is going to sanctify, to make pure, to separate, and to cleanse the church? How does he do it? Notice, with the washing of the water by the word. See, it is through the preaching of the word of God that God sanctifies, that Jesus sanctify and cleanses the church, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, notice, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God desires a people that are peculiar, that are separated, that are holy and without blemish, and God wants to do that. You say, how's he going to do it? By the washing of the water by the word. How's he going to do that? Through the house of God. Through the preaching of the word of God. This is why in John 17, 17, the Bible says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The word of God is what's going to sanctify. It's so what's going to cleanse you. Now, if you kept your place there in 1st Timothy, go, go to 2nd Timothy, if you would, uh, and keep your finger there in Ephesians, if you would. And I apologize. Keep your place right there in Ephesians. I want you to have your place in two places, Ephesians and in 1st or 2nd Timothy. Go to 2nd Timothy chapter 4. Keep your place in Ephesians. We're going to go back and forth just a little bit. 2nd Timothy chapter number 4 sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, God wants to sanctify you, God wants to cleanse you through his word, so when we come to church, we take the word of God, and we wash you with the word, Second Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 2, 2 Timothy 4, 2, here we have Paul giving instructions to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he tells him, Timothy, here's what you need to do, preach the word, Preach the word, he says, be instant in season, out of season. What does that mean? He says, I want you to preach the word, whether it's popular or not, whether it's in season or not. Whether people like it or not, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And he says, Here's how you should be doing it reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He says, Look, your job, Timothy, and my job as a pastor is to stand up here week after week and to take the word of God to preach the word and to do that by teaching you doctrine, by having to reprove, by having to rebuke, by having to exhort and encourage you uh, to do it, whether it's in season or Odysseys, and you say, Why? That Christ might sanctify and cleanse you through the washing of the water of the word. Sometimes people come to church and they'll think, you know, especially new believers, and I've had this conversation a lot. People will come to church, or maybe not even necessarily new believers, just Christians that maybe haven't been a part of a church like Verity Baptist Church. Because you may not know this, and if you're new, you you, you don't know that. Maybe you'll know it by the end of the service today. When you come to Verity Baptist Church, we give you the Word of God in heavy doses. I mean, this is not the kind of place where we read a verse and then, you know, we tell a story and I tell a few jokes and we tell a poem and, and then we, we go on our, you know, take three offerings and go on our merry way. We uh, go, we, we, we dig into the Word of God. Uh, we give you the Word of God. You say, why do you do that? Because my job is to preach the Word. Now, I'll give you illustrations and I'll give you stories and I'll give you uh, thoughts, but my primary purpose of us gathering together right now is for me to preach the Word. Why? That you might be sanctified and cleansed, that you might be. Washed by the word, and sometimes people will come to church like this and say, "Man, whenever I come here, I feel so dirty. I mean, I just feel, I feel like I feel like you know, it just everything I'm doing is wrong. You know, and I've, my wife and I have had this conversation a hundred times, and and I've had this conversation. I've thought this myself, you know, at times in my life." I remember I had a pastor one day who told me, you know, the reason for that, the reason when people come to church where we're preaching the word of God, the reason you feel like, ah, just am I doing everything wrong? I feel so dirty. He says, you know, it's like if you were to take a rock, just a dirty rock and place it in, in, in a stream of water and a lot of water just rush over that rock. You know, initially that water is going to just begin to remove all of the dirt and the filth and the grime. And if you look downstream, you're going to see a bunch of dirt coming off that rock and think, man, was that, all of that was on me? And that's really how it is when you first come to church like this. You know, we, you show up for here, we sing some songs, and then Pastor Jimenez, he grabs the, the pressure washer of the word of God, you know, and we just begin to, sh- you know, wash that dirt off of you. Sanctify and cleanse that dirt off of you. And you, you look behind you like, man, all of that was on me? You take that rock and you put it on a stream of water. It'll initially begin to cleanse it. You know, eventually it'll just begin to smooth it out. Sometimes, you know, we, we get all that initial ground off. Then we start smoothing you out as a believer. Helping you mature in your Christian faith. But look, you say, well, what why do I need church? Because look, you're not going to get the preaching you need. You're not going to get the messages about marriage, about child rearing, about your finances, about your, your inner heart condition, bitterness, pride, anger. You're just not going to get it from the world. They're just not going to give it to you at the public school. Sesame Street's not going to give it to you. Uh, uh, you know, your job's not going to give it to you. You need a church. You need to be able to come to a place where sermons are brought forth out of the word of God and they're meant to cleanse you. They're meant to help you. They're meant to help you grow. Go to the book of Acts if you would. Acts chapter number 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. The house of God will cleanse you and you will be cleansed through the preaching of the word of God ah, I like, I like to go to a church where I just feel uh, edified, encouraged. You know, people be, uh, I like that liberal church down the street. It's like you're living in fornication, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just making a mess out of your life, you're into every possible sin you could possibly be into, and you go to a church and you feel encouraged, there's nothing wrong with that. You're supposed to be cleansed by the Word of God. You say, why is that? It's because, you know, they're bringing out the little squirt gun of God's Word, if they even have God's Word you know, and squirting you with it, and you're like, oh, that feels nice. No, you need the pressure washer of the Word of God. You need to be rebuked and reproved. And we'll exhort you on the way out, but you need to be cleansed by the Word of God. That's the purpose for church. And by the way, that's why you will experience revival. That's why you will experience growth. That's why you will experience uh, the, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit when you come to a church that preaches the Word of God. Why? Because the sermons will sanctify you. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, our job, and look, my primary job as a pastor is to help you and to feed you God's word. Acts 20, verse 28. Notice what the Bible says here to pastors. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Notice, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Here he uses the illustration of feeding. We have the church of God, we have the flock of God here, and my job as a pastor is to feed you spiritually. Go to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. Look at verse 26. Acts chapter number 11 and verse 26. And when they had found him, Acts eleven twenty-six. 26, and when they had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year, notice, they assembled themselves with the church. And by the way, that's what a church is. It's an assembly. It's a congregation. They assembled themselves with the church and did what? Notice, and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They taught believers, they taught much people, and by the way, it had an effect on their lives. It had such an effect on their lives that actually after assembling with the church for a year and being taught the Word of God, being cleansed with the pressure washer of the Word of God, the outside community began to take notice, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The word Christian means a Christ imitator, someone who's like Christ, someone who's a little Christ. The outside community began to look at this called-out assembly of believers, and they said, man, let me tell you something, you know who they remind me of? They remind me of that guy, Jesus Christ. They kind of act like Christ, and they live like Christ, and they talk like Christ. In fact, let's, let's call them Christians. But why, look, nothing in the Bible is in there, By in, incidentally. What brought about that change that the outside world would look at them and, and say, let's call them Christians first in Antioch. What brought that change was that they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Because God gave you a church to help you grow To cleanse your life. And primarily that's done through the sermons that you hear. Through the preaching. At least it should be done. Through the preaching of the word of God. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The Bible says this. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. Those three words, they continued steadfastly. That, that's our discipleship goal at Mary Baptist Church. You say, oh, you, you want to get a bunch of people saved? Look, we want to get a bunch of people saved. But you know what we also want? It's to teach people to continue steadfastly. To continue steadfastly in the Word of God, in the things of God, and they walk with God. And they continue steadfastly. How do they do it? In the Apostles' Doctrine. See, it, it, it happened through the teaching That's what the word doctrine means, to teach, teaching, through the teaching of God's word, through the apostles, through the pastors, through the evangelists, through the men of God. And if there's one thing that we've learned through this coronavirus thing, is that the preaching's just not the same on live stream. I mean, there's just something about, there's just something about being in the room. There's something about, you know, just being in the room when those sermons being preached that make, you know, because on live stream, and look, if, if you don't have a choice and all you can do is live stream, then God bless you, praise the Lord for it, and, and we don't have a problem with that. Absolutely don't have a problem with that. We did it. But, but, you know, there's something about being in the room because on the live stream, you know, it's easy to get distracted. On the live stream, you know, some of you are so busy chatting away, you didn't even know what the sermon was about. You know, on the live stream, you know, you're getting you're you're getting up to grab your popcorn, and then you know you forgot you need to feed the dog, and then oh, then the trash is overflowing. You go take out the trash. By the time you, you get back, it's like oh, it's done. Oh, great, we went to church. It's like no, you didn't. You know, and 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 look, and I'm not against it. I'm just telling you, there's something about being in the house of God and having a man of God take the word of God and pressure wash. And cleanse you and sanctify you through the preaching of the word of God. So the house of God can bring revival because of the sermons you hear at church. And by the way, this is why the Bible teaches: the more church you can get, the better. The more church you can get, the better. Sometimes people will say, say to me, "Man, you know, I've been coming to church, uh, uh, you know, here, and, and I've learned more." And people I've said this to me and my wife so many times. And we take it as a compliment. I mean, I feel like we're doing our job. I've learned more coming to Verity Baptist Church in three months or six months or one year than I learned, you know, the entire time I was going to some other church or whatever. And I appreciate that. But, you know, sometimes I want to tell people, well, if you learn, you know, so much on Sunday mornings, imagine what you'd learn if you showed up on Sunday night. Imagine what you'd learn if you showed up on Wednesday night. You learn three times as much. I'm not preaching the same sermon on Sunday night. You know, we're not preaching the same sermon on Wednesday night. It's another opportunity to be in the house of God under the preaching of the word of God. And here's all I'm telling you. You need church as much as possible, as much as you can get, as much time as you can spend under the pressure washer of the word of God. It's good for you. It's good for me to be cleansed and sanctified by the word of God. So the house of God can bring revival. Why? Number one, because of the sermons you hear in the house of God. But there's a second reason. The house of God can bring revival not only because of the sermons that you hear in the house of God, but because of the socializing you partake in in the house of God. You're there in Acts 2, look at verse 42. Remember these three words, and they continue to steadfastly. I like that. That's our goal. I want you to continue steadfastly. But notice, it's in the apostles' doctrine, but that's not it. It's not just the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Do you realize that God created you and I to need community? We were created to live in community with other people. With other believers. And if you're going to experience revival, if you're going to experience revival in the house of God, or it's going to come through the Word of God, through the house of God, it'll happen because of the sermons of the Word of God, but it'll also happen because of the socializing, the social aspect... Of the word of God, uh, of the house of God. They continued steadfastly, yes, in the apostles' doctrine, but also in fellowship. It says, and fellowship. See, it is fellowship that will help you get on fire for God. Good friends are good for you spiritually. Good friends are good for you spiritually. Go be go the book of Psalms if you would. I, I want you to compare a couple of uh, passages. So if you would find Psalm 22, if you open up your Bible just right in the center of the Bible, you'll more than likely find the book of Psalms. Psalm 22, find your place there, keep your place there, and then go with me also to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number two. Now, if you kept your place in second Timothy, you you can go from second Timothy, past Titus, past Philemon, into the book of Hebrews, all right? So find Psalm 22 and find Hebrews chapter two. If you have your place in second Timothy, you have Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Now, when you get to Hebrews, you can lose your place in 2 Timothy and just keep your finger there in Hebrews, all right? I want you to be able to go flip back and forth between Psalm 22 and Hebrews chapter number 2. Now, in Psalm 22 and verse 22, the Bible says this, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Now, I want you to notice these words, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Here in Psalm 22, the psalmist is saying, That in the midst, meaning in the middle of the congregation, he says, will I praise thee? Now, that's what we were doing just a minute ago when we were singing, How Great Thou Art. If you were singing in the midst of the congregation, you were praising God. The psalmist said, in the midst of the congregations, will I praise thee? Now, keep your finger there in Psalm 22. I want you to notice Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, this psalm is being quoted the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 22. I want you to notice how he quotes it. Psalm 22, verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Notice, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So in Psalm 22, he said, in the midst of the congregation. In Hebrews 2:12, he says, in the midst of the church. You say, oh, is that a contradiction? No, the word church and the word co- uh, congregation is being used interchangeably because they mean the same thing. A church is an assembly, it is a congregation, it is a congregating of believers. That's what a church is. See, there is a social aspect to the house of God. Look, if there's another thing we learned during the coronavirus, we learned one thing, the preaching's not the same on live stream as it is in person. But you know what we learned? We also learned this, that there's more to church than just preaching. I mean, there's way more to church than just preaching. I mean, just, you know, oh, I can, I can catch the live stream on, uh, uh, on, uh, online. Yeah, you can. But there's way more to church than just listening to preaching. There is a social aspect to church because of the fact that church is a congregation. Uh, go, uh, keep your place there. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Go back to Psalms. From Psalms, go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27. Keep your place in Hebrews. And from Psalms, go to Proverbs 27. See, you need a good friends. Good friends will help you stay connected. Good friends will help you experience revival. Proverbs 27, verse 17, very well-known verse, you know it. Proverbs 27, 17, the Bible says this, Iron sharpeneth iron. Iron sharpeneth iron. The same way that you want to, if you're going to take a sword or some sort of a blade, and you want to sharpen it, the way you do it is you just take another piece of iron, and you, and you, and you rub them together. And, and, and they'll sharpen each other. He says, iron sharpeneth iron. And he's using that as an illustration. He says, so, meaning in the same way, a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. See, you need good friends to keep you, uh, uh, to, to help you be spiritual. God created you to need community, and then God instituted a place called the local church where you can gather together with other believers. Why? Because iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You're there in Proverbs? Just flip over to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. See, the Bible teaches us this. The the teaching in Scripture in regards to community is this, that we are better together. We do better together. We accomplish more together. Ecclesiastes 4, look at verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. The Bible says this, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. You know that we can accomplish more together than all of us could accomplish separately? We will do more together. He said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, here, he said, well, how, how can two be better than one? He says, well, let me explain to you. Verse 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And you know, people learn this, unfortunately, the hard way. People live the self-life, which really should be called the selfish life. And they choose to make life all about themselves. Just me and my family, and we don't need church, and we don't need anybody, and we don't need anything, and we're good to go. And that might be true till tragedy happens. That might be good till you fall, and, and there's no one there to help you up, because two are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Notice verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And you know, this is true, Brother Jose gave me an illustration. Uh, that uh, that uh, whenever I read this verse, I always think of this uh, illustration. Give me an illustration years ago about how Christians are like hot coals. You know, when you're grilling, you take those coals and you put them all in an assembly. You assemble them all together and you put them on fire. So I'm trying to do with this revival series. I'm trying to set you on fire. And, and and Christians are like that that those hot coals. As long as they're in the midst of other coals, they'll stay hot for a long time. But as soon as you pick one of those coals out and just set it off by itself, they, the, the group will remain co- or hot. This one will cool down. You say, why is that? Well, it's because if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm? Alone. And spiritually speaking, when you are around other people who are singing praises to God, who are reading the Bible, who are praying, who are soul winning, who are serving, who are going in the same direction you're going in life, hey, that'll get you warmed up, that'll get you heated up, that'll get you on fire for God. You go and isolate yourself, you're going to cool down. Oh, no, I'm a spiritual love Christian. No, you're not. You are not spiritual enough to ignore the institution that Jesus died for, that Jesus gave his life for, that Jesus built, that Jesus had son. You are not bigger than Jesus. Jesus said, you need the church. Amen. You say, what? Well, I can get the preaching online. Okay, it's not the same, but okay. But you know what you can't get online? The fellowship. You know what you can't get online? The relationships. You know what you can't get online? The, the, the iron sharpening iron and the being warmed up with other believers. Look at verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I love how he ends the in Ecclesiastes because he begins by saying two is better than one. He says two is better than one. But then he says, but you know what's better than two? Three. Why do you guys have service Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Well, because two is better than one. But you know what's even better than two? Three. Why, Pastor, why, why do you guys want to grow the church and uh, you you want to experience the revival of Verity Baptist Church and we're slowly getting back. And look, I believe that the Lord is doing a great work and, and we're getting there. Last week, I don't, I don't have the number in front of me, I think we had about 150 uh, uh, the first week we had about 150 of our church family back in church uh, that week. That's probably about 80% of what we had uh, bef- uh, before the coronavirus. Then the week after that we had more. Today I think we got 160 something. Hey, we're slowly getting back. We're, we're Rebuilding. We're building, we're, we're, we're returning to the house of God, but we're also going to repair the house of God because we need each other. Because better than two is three. You know what's better than 150? 200. You know what's better than 200? 250. You say, ah, oh, is it about numbers? No, it's about this helping people be revived in their lives. Helping marriages grow, helping parenting grow, helping you draw close to God. See, if we're going to experience revival, we're going to have to learn to know God, and then we're going to have to make God known. We need a community. We need each other. Go to John 17, if you would. John 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 17. You were created to need friends. Spiritually, good friends are good for you. But we were created to need a community. It's intuitive. This is why things like social media have blown up. Social media is so popular. Facebook and Twitter and all those, Instagram, all those things. Why? Because intuitively we're created for community. I don't have time to go into this, but I've been uh, listening to things and and looking at things. And, you know, studies are showing that social media is actually doing the opposite. People think that they're getting connected by being on social media. And the more time they spend on social media, they actually feel more isolated, more separated. Because of the fact that God wants you to have human interaction, not cyber interaction. Now, you know, social media can be used in a healthy way, and I understand that, but look, it should not take place of being physically, eyeball to eyeball, with other human beings because we need community. And look, listen to me, we need to be against an isolation mentality. Now, I look, I'm all for if there's a pandemic, if the you know, black plague uh, you know, spreads or whatever, then yeah, we want to have social distancing and we need to be careful of those things. We understand that. But just in general, we ought not live our lives in isolation. John 17, look at verse 15. John 17 is a very interesting passage because it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ praying. Often we call the Lord's prayer, you know. Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We call that the Lord's Prayer. But that's really Jesus teaching us how to pray. The disciple says, teach us to pray. And he said, well, let me show you. Here's a, a pattern, an outline for maybe how you might be able to play, pray. In John 17, we actually are just listening in to Jesus praying. Notice what Jesus prays. John 17, 15. He says, I pray not. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You say, well, I thought we weren't of the world. He just, he said that earlier in the passage. We're not of the world. We're different from the world. We're we're pilgrims in this world. But notice, Jesus says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. See, Jesus in his own prayer said, he said, Jesus, he said, God, keep them separate, keep them cleansed, keep them holy, but don't take them out of the world. Listen to me. Jesus does not want you and I to go buy land in Idaho somewhere or in Nevada somewhere and build some compound and just isolate ourselves from the world. In fact, Jesus said, I'm not praying for that at all. You say, why? Well, because Jesus wants us to help him build his church. You got to be able to reach people if you're going to reach people. Like you got to be able to physically go and reach people if you're going to go spiritually reach people with the gospel of Christ. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the world. And look, over the last 10 years of ministry, my wife and I have done a lot of counseling, and we've done a lot of study on counseling and how to counsel people. And the experts always tell you, one of the first telltale signs is look for people who are isolating themselves. It's unhealthy. Spiritually, we've learned the first step the first red sign that someone's getting backslidden is when they want to isolate themselves. Oh, I don't want to spend time with people. i leave right after the service. Leaving right after the service turns into not showing up to church. Isolating themselves. You need church. You need people. There's a, the reason why during this pandemic, there's so much mental health issues and suicide and depression is why. Because that's one of the first signs. Isolation is unhealthy for everyone Physically, mentally, emotionally, but it's also unhealthy spiritually. And one of the things we've been trying to uh, keep an eye on, and we've been trying to stay in connection with people, and, and, and look, I realize, and if you're listening to this, I'm not, if, if you're not coming to church for health reasons, you've got health reasons in your family uh, with your, you know, people around you, and, and you need to be isolated. I'm not talking about that. But when you can come to church and you choose not to come to church because you just want to be isolated, that's the first sign that your heart is getting backslidden. And today we have movements that want to praise isolation. You know, this is why I, I'm not for this homestead movement. Now, look, homesteading, nothing wrong with it. Just last night, my wife and, and, and my sister were talking about, you know, Planting uh, seeds and, and, and planting things, you know. And during this lockdown, one of the projects we did with our kids was we built a planter box and we planted a bunch of stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. Having animals and, you know, having flocks or things, all that is great. You know, having land and property, all that is great as long as you can stay connected in a good local church. But this idea that I'm going to go buy land somewhere in the middle of nowhere and live off the land and I'm never going to see anybody ever, that's not of God. God doesn't want that. In fact, Jesus, preached, Jesus prayed for the opposite of that. Jesus said, don't take them out of the world. Today, there's a homeschool, and I'm all for homeschooling. We have a homeschool group here. There's a homeschool movement that's just all about isolating yourself. Just our family, no one else. They stop going to church. They do home church. And they, they don't. They never allow their family to be around anyone or with anyone. You know, just newsflash, that's how you raise a bunch of freaks. Okay. <laughs> People say, oh, homeschool kids are, 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 are weird. Well, number one, public school kids are weird. <laughs> two. Number two, the homeschool kids that are weird are the ones that are being isolated by their parents. You know, my, my kids are like overly socialized in a place like this. It's like you're spending too much time with, with your friend. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday, soul morning, this event, that event, you know, this field trip, that field trip. Hey, I'm here to tell you something. Isolation is not of God. God doesn't want you to isolate yourself because you'll grow cold all on your own. You need community. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So look, I, look and I, please understand this. I, you, you say, I want land and I want, uh, you know, chickens and I want, hey, praise the Lord for it. I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure you can go to church. Make sure you can be around people. Make sure you can walk up to someone and ask them, do you know for sure if you died today or you're on your way to heaven? And if you're just too far from society to do that, then you're too far. God doesn't want you isolating yourself. God wants you to be part of the body of Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These people are like, oh, I'm going to go out and live in the middle of nowhere and live off the land. Where are you going to go to church? Oh, we're not. That's, look, Jesus wants you in church. We're live stream. That's not good enough. You know, for, for a month or whatever, two months during an emergency, maybe, I mean, even that will take its toll. Even that will uh, allow good Christians to get backslidden. But God wants you to be part of a spiritual community. He created you to need community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 24. He's talking about the church, using the illustration of the church as a body, as body parts that come together to make up a body. Notice for our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together. That word tempered means to mix. To to the idea is like if you take clay. And you mix it together into a proper consistency to bring to a proper, suitable, desirable state by blending or mixing. God says that He wants to take you as an individual. And he wants to mix you. He wants to temper you into the body of Christ, into a local church. God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the parts which lack. Notice verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body. The word schism means division. This union, but that the members should have the same care one for another. See, look, we need a body, we need acceptance in the body, and we, we need to not be divided with the body, because we need to have a body that we care for, we need to have a body that we care for, and that cares for us. You I mean, Look at verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members Rejoice with it. You need to care for others. And others need to be able to care for you. Go to the book of Romans if you would. There in First Corinthians, just flip back to Romans. One book back, Romans 16. I said number one this morning, the house of God can bring revival because of the sermons you hear in the house of God. The pressure washer of the word of God that you get in the house of God. But I said, secondly, that you need the house of God because of the socializing you get in the house of God. You need people. Two are better than one. And you know it's better than two? Three. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. But I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, we'll finish up here quickly. The house of God can bring revival because of the service you do in the house of God. Because of the service. You know that you're supposed to serve in the house of God? Romans chapter 16, look at verse 1. Romans 16.1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. Go to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Roman, you're, you're in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Other passages we learn about people who addicted themselves to the ministry. You know that you were not only created for socialization, but you were created for service. You know that it's not healthy for you to live the self-absorbed, selfish life of isolation? It's not healthy for you. You need to serve for your own good. I mean, even counselors and therapists today will, will recommend, because they don't, they don't want to acknowledge the house of God, so they'll tell people like, oh, go do community service, or go volunteer at this club or that club. Go do this or go do that. And the reason they do that is because intuitively we know that we need service. We need to serve. Arthur C. Brooks is a teacher at Harvard. He teaches a class on how to attain true happiness. And he teaches that what we normally think of true, what that'll bring true happiness, will only bring misery. And he talks about the fact that people think that money, people think that power, people think that pleasure will bring happiness, and these things only bring. Uh, Misery and he does a study on what brings and he you know, he's he's a spiritual guy or whatever He's not a christian. He's not saved, but he he acknowledges god and all these things and he 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 teaches this class He also writes an article um, uh, For the atlantic called the art of happiness. I think he has a podcast and he said this he says the key and he's referring to happiness is to find structure through which you can transcend a focus On your narrow self-interest to serve others. See, and the truth is this. You will never be happy while you are focused on self. You will never be happy while you are focused on yourself. The key to happiness is to serve others. It's to give yourself for others. Ephesians 4.12. This is one of the purposes of the church. Here in Ephesians 4.12, we're learning about why God gave you a church. Why God gave you a pastor. Why did he do that? For, number one, the perfecting of the saints. The completing, the maturing of the saints. That's what that means. For, number two, the work of the ministry. The perfecting of the saints is done through the preaching of the word of God. The work of the ministry is done through serving in the work of God. The work of the ministry. And when you do these things, it will, it will bring forth the edifying of the body of Christ. You are supposed to serve. You are supposed to serve others. You are supposed to figure out a way to transcend, to get past the focus of narrow self-interest, self-selfish interest, and serve other people. That's what you're supposed to do with life. So here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Go to look at Hebrews if you would. I'm not sure if you, if you remember, you kept your place in Hebrews a long time ago. Go to Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews, if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 10... Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at two verses. We'll be done. And now I'm going to explain these verses. So it's going to be a while. All right. So don't get too excited. But Hebrews 10, Acts 20. You know, what's interesting. Intuitively, we know this, that we need help. We need the truth to help us. The world doesn't want to go on church. So they'll say, oh, go find a therapist. Go find a counselor. Go find a shrink. Go find a psychiatrist. Let's put you on drugs. Let's put you on medications. They try to acknowledge, they acknowledge that they need someone to help them, someone to reprove and rebuke and exhort, but they try to do it outside of church. They, they, need, they, they realize that they need social. There's a social aspect to humanity. So for years, people have ignored church by having things like the Elks Lodge and the, you know, whatever, the Moose Lodge by having a bowling league, and having a golf league, and having whatever, by having this. And then it, recently, we've done away with even those things just through social media, and Facebook, and Instagram, and Twitter, and whatever, those things. And, 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 and then, we realize we need service. We need to serve others. So, so these people said, man, you can't just live a life that's selfish, so then they try to get you to, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to go to the park and, and, and paint the bathrooms and plant the trees and do these things. Look, the world realizes that these things are needed. You know what's interesting? God already knew that he created you with those things. And then he wraps all those things up in one thing called the local New Testament church where you can come to one place and get the truth you need to help you in life, get the socialization you need to help sharpen you in life and get the service you need so you're not a self-centered brat. God did it all. He, he, He gave it to us already. In fact, Jesus said, I died for the church. I'm the head of the church. I built the church. And Jesus would look at you and say, you need church. Revival through the church of God. And I want to end this morning by just talking about a command. For the church of God. Because Hebrews 10.25 is a, a verse that a lot of people have, have misapplied. Hebrews 10.25 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I believe this verse. I think that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The word forsake means to abandon or to quit. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see as they're approaching. Here's how people have misapplied this verse though. They'll say, oh, those churches that went live stream only. They're all forsaking the assembly. Please understand this. The command here is being given to someone that has the ability to go to church and chooses not to. Do you understand that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Notice these words. As the manner of some is. What does the word matter mean? It means a custom or a habit. He says, look, some people have a custom or a habit of forsaking the assembly. And then you got, you know, preachers out there, instead of being worried about their own congregations, trying to build and do something great for God, they want to pick apart everybody else. And they're like, oh, you guys are, you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of something. And I'm like, really? We We have a custom? We have a habit of just shutting down church, you know, for three months at a time during a pandemic, that doesn't apply to this. Do you understand that? This verse is talking about people who can go to church and choose not to. Understand this. If you are a godly Christian who just, you know, you got saved in your 20s, you got saved in your 30s, You got connected in a good church. You got discipled. You started growing for the Lord. You started serving the Lord. You started serving in church. You started going soul winning. You were going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for decades. I mean, you raised your kids in church. You're now 80 years old, 90 years old. You're too sick to, 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 to get out. You're bedridden. So you can't go to church. You think God's just looking down at you and he's just mad at you? You are forsaking the assembly. Look, they can't go to church. That's not mad at them. That's not what this verse is talking about. You know what this is talking about? Talking about the people after we started church who still don't want to go to church. Not for medical reasons, just because they don't want to. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves to God. You think God's mad at someone? I mean, you know, God has blessed churches like Verity Baptist Church. God has blessed Verity Baptist Church and churches like Verity Baptist Church with our live stream, with our online, reaching people all over the world. We get emails all the time, people telling us they got saved watching this video, that video, this documentary, that documentary. You think you live in some country in Africa where there's no good church? That's I mean, not like Americans like to say there's no good church in my area and they just don't want to drive 40 minutes to a church. Like, there literally is no church that is preaching the gospel in your entire country. You got saved watching a documentary online. And there's no place for you to go. You think God's mad at those people? Because they're live streaming? They don't have a choice. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is not talking about when you say, Oh, Pastor, were we backfilling during three months? You didn't have a choice. Now, if you want to put it on me and say that I sinned or whatever, if that makes you feel better, do that. I'll stand before God. I'm confident in what I believe. But if you didn't have a choice, that's not talking about you. You don't have a manner. You know what people have a manner of? They have a manner of skipping church to go hiking, to go camping, to go fishing. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, is referring to people who can go to church and choose not to. God is telling them, you are sinning. You are breaking a command. God commands you to go to church. You say, why? Because God realizes you need church notice. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is. He says, but exhorting one another. Because we need each other. Because we need community. But exhorting one another. And then he says, and so much the more. As you see the day approaching. I want you to notice that there's a command to be part of a local church, but this is not referring to. Now, if you go move, you go from a good church and you go move in the middle of somewhere where you can't go to church, yeah, you're sinning. You understand that? You're choosing to separate yourself. You're choosing to forsake the assembly. But if you find yourself in a state where you can't go to church through your live streaming, God's not mad at you for that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is talking about people who can go to church and choose not to. Go to Acts 20, verse 18. We'll finish up. Acts 20, verse 18. In September, we'll be celebrating 10 years here at Verity Baptist Church. 10 years ago, my wife and I started this church in our living room. Some of you have been with us for a long time, some of you have been with us since we were in the house. My family, of course, has been with us since day one. Brother Ray and Miss Denise have been with us literally since day one. And it's been 10 years. It's been a great ride. I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. You know, I was thinking this week, something my wife and I used to do in the early days when we first started. Because when you first start, you know, you don't have a lot of mature Christians. And of course, we had some mature Christians that started with us. But when you start reaching people, you have a lot of new Christians, baby Christians, people who don't have... Uh, habits, good spiritual habits. Something we used to do in the early days, we would do a church attendance challenge. And once every six months or once a year in the early years, I'd stand up and I'd preach a sermon about the importance of church, kind of like I'm doing right now, <laughs> the importance of church and why you need church and why God wants you church. And then we put out the church attendance challenge. And we would tell this brand new small church, we'd say, if you commit to come to all the services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for the entire month of June... We're going to take everyone who does, gets challenged, we're going to take you out to pizza on this night and whatever, you know, and I'm not going to do that, all right? I think our church is a little more mature than that. We've matured a little bit. But you know what? I'm not going to bribe you with pizza, but I am going to give you a church attendance challenge. You've been on lockdown for a couple of months. June is coming, starting tomorrow. I want to challenge you be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night in the month of June. For all the complaining and harping you did on social media about your First Amendment rights. You think you'd show up to church once you can. Acts 20, verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, what manner, you see the word manner? Habit, custom, what manner I have been with you at all seasons. You know, I want to challenge you. Make church a priority. Be here Sunday morning. You say, I, 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 don't, I can't, you know, I'm too new. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, man, that, that's been too much for me. Okay, you know what? Then why don't you just commit? be here every Sunday morning in the month of June. Don't miss any. I understand medical reasons and things. I, I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, if you can be here, be here. You, you say, well, I was already coming on Sunday night. Then don't backslide. Get back to Sunday morning, Sunday night. Why don't you decide right now? I'll be here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night in the month of June. You say, I was already coming to all three services. Don't Then don't do less. You know what's, you know Two is better than one? You know what's better than two? Three. Why don't you commit? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Why don't you get a calendar and, and, and make a little checklist and actually check it out. We usually give out little calendars with a date for every uh, service in the month. We say, look, you check all these off. We'll take you out to pizza or we'll go out to cold or whatever. You know, we'd, we'd bribe people with And I'm thinking of doing it, but I'm not going to do it, all right? But, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, if you need ice cream, we'll get you ice cream, though, if it, if it gets you here. The point is this. Why don't you commit to be uh, develop a manner of being faithful? Or you can say like, Paul, you know what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Even hunting season? Even hunting season. Even football season? Even football season. You know they're bringing basketball back? Even basketball season. At all seasons. Commit to be faithful to the house of God because it's the only way, it's the only way that you can be right with God and that you can experience revival. Because revival requires the house of God. That's why I have to now of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have given us a great church. And not, not because of the pastor, but because of these great people who are faithful, who do serve, who give of their lives and of their time. These people, Lord, I, I Lord, I, I pray that you would Teach a lesson to these accusers, these so-called preachers who are accusing churches like Verity Baptist Church. Lord, not not for my sake, but for the sake of these people. These people have been chomping at the bits to get back to church. They're not backslidden. They're not forsaking the assembling because they're not right with God. Lord, I, I pray, I realize that this church has some enemies. There are some people who would love to see us fail. Lord, I pray that this church would live up to its name. Father, I pray that this church would not only come back, that it would come back with a vengeance, that we would come back right with you and revived by you and ready to make you known. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make church a priority, to not decide we're going to go to church when we can make it, but to say, you know what, I'm making a priority of the house of God. I need the sermons. I need the social aspect. I need to serve. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us a church. Thank you for meeting the needs that you've put in our hearts. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.